Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Dusty crevices explored and polished with wit and clarity. His art is uncontrolled concrete. We remain tantalised by his presentations. We submit Jeremy Della. Jeremy Della, very nice to have you here. Thank you very much. Was that an introduction? It, it, it certainly was, yes. It was waffles. great. It was yeah. great. And it was done in the back of your car. It was done in the back of a car. I wrote it in the back of a car whilst I was driving. Does that make sense? No, someone else was driving. So, Jeremy, welcome to the show. Um, has much happened to you in the back of a car ever? <laughs> That's a really good question. Free I'm, I'm usually driving, so it's not often I get to be in the back of a car. To no. I don't like getting in the back of a car, do you? I can't no. imagine you ever being in the back of a car unless you're being driven by a chauffeur. No, but even though I like to sit in the front so I can see where I'm going and bellow instructions and try and grab the wheel if I think it's appropriate. No one around this table, I would imagine, is a pass- sits in the passenger seat with a, a member of your family driving. It's not. It's the recipe for absolute disaster, isn't it? My wife will go to sleep. Whenever I drive, she will sit in the passenger seat and go to sleep, and I could never do that. That's a very good skill to have, I have to say. To sleep? Yeah, when someone else is driving. Yeah, I think So you don't have to get engaged with the... Yeah, traffic and uh, and, and there's mistakes and yeah. wrongdoings. I think the biggest rows I've had with my partner have been in cars, without a doubt. What about your driving skills? Or about her driving skills when I allow her to drive. This sounds terrible. This makes me <laughs> a terrible person. We need to get off this subject yeah. very quickly. Let's talk please. about prices. We were talking about putting so prices been, on. You've things. been at one of the big giant art fairs. And we were just saying, if you go round uh, some of those things, they never have the prices on, which is a bit annoying because then you've got to ask the person how much, and then that means that you've, you're stuck talking to them for twenty minutes, and then that's like yeah. suddenly, if you do that at every place you stop, you're going to be there for. But you two could go days. around with your own price gun and put them on. That would be much better. Yes, <laughs> what well, you think it's worth? But uh, you know, I like to see the price on everything. Mm. Yeah, I don't like hidden prices, yeah. especially sort of medieval altarpieces and things like that in yeah. the fair, because it is interesting to know the value of. What value is assigned to things like that compared to contemporary art, which is very, very highly priced on the whole? Yes, that's right. The art of the living, because you, well, you are both artists, but the art of the living is generally much more expensive than the art of people that have died centuries ago. Yes, yeah. centuries ago. If they've recently died, then it's even more... That's the highest. But that's, a good, that's a showbiz general rule. I think, yeah. You know, if that, if yeah. a great career move. I, uh, dead. I think the problem with contemporary art is people just think about how much it costs and that, that alienates them from the work itself I think that's why children are actually a very good audience for art because they react to contemporary art in a very basic visceral level and I think that's what, for me that's interesting 
having that children as an audience. I think that's true of music, actually, funnily enough. I think small children are a much better audience for music, but when they get sort of to be teenagers and they're groovy and they're much less open to ideas, whereas when they're little, they just like kind of something yeah. that gets them going. They yeah. feel it much yeah. more uh, instinctively. But there, and there are certain things within contemporary art that you can't put a price on, literally, like our friend Martin Creed's lights going on and off, for instance. You can't put a price on that, can you? You can't, but he did sell it. He did sell it to the tech. How can he... What is, yeah, well, he, so sell, how do you sell it? Which you piece sell did the he sell idea. You sell the idea, but also you sell the sort of technology to make the lights go on and off in that very specific way. Martin is a very specific artist. Yeah. He would think about that for years before, I suspect, before he makes it a work. Is there a piece of art that you've created which you can't put a price on? I, I did something that cost a lot of money to make, but you can't put a price on it because it was an experience. What was that? That was when I got uh, people all around Britain to dress in World War One costumes and well, uniforms and just be themselves around Britain and travel through Britain on the anniversary of the first day of the Battle of the Somme. Which is a great idea. So what do you do, get a grant for it? There was a big pot of money to, to commemorate the First World War. That's when there was money going around about five years ago and I was asked to... The Somme is a bit of a problem because it's the biggest military disaster in British history and how do you commemorate that? And I was asked to come up with an idea to commemorate it. Just tell us a little bit more about what it comprised of, because the, the, the people who you, you got to, to be, did they have a name each of a person that was lost in the war? They did, and it was basically it was about 2,000 almost exclusively men who were dressed as soldiers in very accurate uh, uniforms. World War One soldiers. Yes, and they congregated in places in public and moved through public spaces, moved through shopping centres, all unannounced, which is very important. And they were just present, basically, in, in public life in Britain for a day, going on trains and so on. They didn't speak to the public, but they all had a little card with the name of someone who died that day. And were they wearing that? No, if you paid <clears throat> any interest in them or took their photograph, they'd come up and give you a card. It's like a little gravestone, basically, saying the regiment and the anniversary and so on. And so that was it. But it was a sort of viral artwork in the sense that it travelled through the body of the country. And we had it in Northern Ireland. It was very important to have people in Northern Ireland even though that was a very difficult decision to make because it's men in British Army uniforms walking through the streets of Belfast and Derry. Mm. And so that was, that was an interesting moment as well, those negotiations, but it had to be through the whole of the country. So a lot of people saw it. Maybe over a million people saw it in person that day. Probably more. Yeah, I think it must have been, if you had that 2,000 people yes. on great public spaces... Yeah, on, on sort of sidings of motorways yeah, yeah. and bridges. And we started at railway stations at 8 in the morning. The busiest railway stations in Britain, so you get hundreds of thousands of people see it before nine o'clock in the morning. And then the guys go off, they walk through towns, they get on buses, they go through the countryside, they went up to Snowdonia and back, you know, they yeah. went through the countryside as well, it's very important to do. So it was humans, it's meant to be humans, it's all about bodies and humans walk, going through space. Mm. And, sort of. and that is a great work because you couldn't put it in a gallery. You no. couldn't have it in your, hang it on your wall at home. Yeah. You couldn't buy it. No. You could only experience it and feel. It'd be very hard not to feel. I mean, the job of art is to make you feel something, and that would certainly make you feel pretty. Well, we were worried. Or I, I'm a bit of a pessimist, and we, we did a lot of role-playing with the participants because we thought that you know people in the street would abuse them in some way, drunk people or people who didn't want to see soldiers. And, and so we did all this role-playing about them being shouted at and whatnot. And in the end, it was, it was people crying and talking to them and crying, especially women, 
who would go up and get very teary around them. So I was, we were very shocked at that, that res- response from the public. Yeah. And they, were they all young, like the people who went off? They were, and I think that was the other thing. It was, they were all about 19, 20, they were mm. students and drama students, but just members of the public. But it was a week after the Brexit vote had happened and the country was in turmoil. And I think people, I think people were very stressed about that and I think a lot of the emotion was around the chaos in the country. You've also done, um, in fact, a friend of mine went to see your reenactment of the miners' strike. Yes. Battle, which was uh, great. It, well, that was a reenactment. It was a, a 2,000, oh, no, over 1,000 people reenacting a battle from the miners' strike in the place where it had happened with former miners taking part, but also members of reenactment societies. What people we, who would do what, sort of a civil war and, exactly. the, uh, and the Roman so versus... There's, there's an absurdity obviously. in it. There's a, there's a potential for absolute comedy and absurdity for that um, which I was facing down in a sense because I knew that was going to be a problem potentially because I'd been to a reenactment before and at the end it's amazing this reenactment called History in Action where all it's they call it multi-period reenactment so it's from Romans to Second World War maybe even a bit of Vietnam War and at the end of the weekend they all parade in front of each other clapping each other or saluting and all this sort of stuff and like hitting their spears against their... So, so Romans come in past yes, the Civil and they're War all like, on the... And it's like, like yeah. and, it's amazing. and then at the end they all go onto this field and they all fight each other all the different periods from warfare and there's a tank and with Vikings on it and <laughs> it was just the most amazing... Got to go. I mean, yeah. it's it. totally, it's, t- you know, they're so health and safety conscious that it's absolutely forbidden to do this thing but they always do it, I think, or they, or they're allowed to this time. And I wish I'd known because I would have just run onto the pitch and just like filmed it up close because it is like literally sort of machine guns against, you know, uh, sort of spears and they're all whacking each other and it's total chaos. Where was where's this? This was well, it's it's once a year and English Heritage did it and it was called History in Action. But when the reenactors recreated this battle from the miners' strike, they got to meet real. Or people that had been part of the campaign. So this is like reenactment. I've seen these reenactment yeah. things. Like you got the army and that, but so the, the, the these were miners. They they these were reenactors and, who were dressing either as miners or police, and the miners were dressing either as miners or police. The reenactors were terrified of the miners. They had like two hundred former miners and eight hundred reenactors, and the reenactors thought the former miners were going to start a proper uh, riot, if not revolution. Yeah, and so they were terrified of them, and the tension is palpable in the film what would you reenact if well you I was just going to say it's kind of down to maybe facial features you see you look like you could be quite a cruel baron thank you that's <laughs> very kind of you to say it's a good nickname <laughs> it is a good nickname yeah. the cruel, cruel baron, baron yeah. he's here I can see it on the posters plenty of tickets still available yeah. no I'm sure you'd be a very ben- uh, malevolent but benevolent. benevolent. Yes, not malevolent. Malevolent yes. or yes. benevolent. You know, you could do one of that thing. This side, I'm malevolent. This side, I'm yeah. benevolent. Yeah. Well, thanks. You've just been at the uh, had some new work um, at uh, an art fair. What sort of thing have you been? What sort of work is it that you've been? Putting I actually in? have it here, I and mean, it's very oh. kind of you to ask. But I basically I've done a retrospective of my career, but in stickers, and I've stuck them to the door. And these are some of the. These are some of the stickers. Oh, I love a sticker. This, it, this, this was one to, referring to the fair itself because that's how much it was. Uh, so these... 245 pounds to look at this door. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, these are the stickers. So these are stickers of your works of over the work. Strong and Stable of My Ass, which is what you had on the posters. Yes. That, that Theresa oh, May, I love yeah, yes. yeah. I love these. Thank God for immigrants. Yes, more poetry is needed. I love joyriding. Yeah. But that's for us. 
That's weird. Well, I'll drop yeah. This is Joyride, but you can, you're on. You can put that on your car. And I say you've got Save the Hen Harrier. Exactly. I'm, a, I'm a big on that issue. So I've just done um, a painting and a load of prints for Save the Hen Harrier. Right. Not long ago, about three or four weeks ago. Is involved in that, isn't he? And, um, yeah, and I just did a... A I big did, print. They do a one day, one day a year. They do a sort of mass trespass, sort of onto moorlands. Yeah. They have a the night before. They have like party and talks and stuff. And it's to stop them because they are awful. What they do to them, they put oh, traps poisoning. down to, and poisoning them and doing terrible things. Did you now? You're here as a part of Stonehenge. Yes. And you did an inflatable Stonehenge. I did. I mean, that's a unique thing to have done, isn't it? It is. It's called sacrilege because I just there's a picture of it there on this. This is very handy. This sticker pack because you can just see all my work. And that's yeah. a sticker of someone doing a. Is it a backflip? It's, it's oh, a, it's on your bouncy Stonehenge. Um, yeah, it's bouncy, a, a bouncy Stonehenge. But yeah. Full bouncy size stone. though. Full size. And um, I, I worked out very quickly that if you want to, when when this goes up, people want to take pictures of you if you're the artist on it. And I just thought there's no way I want that. So I usually get youngsters who are sort of gymnasts to come and do little displays and that deals with all of that element of, because uh, I, I didn't really want to be photographed jumping around on it because there's no uh, it's a young man it's a young man's going there's no dignity around. on an uh, inflatable stone hinge believe me so um, that's something. a new I'm, work I've done there it's a, it's a chameleon it's a slide at the bottom oh wow um, so this is is that real yeah it, I made that well I didn't make it someone made it very so well so this is a huge chameleon with its tongue out and that's a slide yeah like you would get at um, a children's park yeah that's great. You go up the tail and down the slide, into the body. Where could we see this chameleon? Uh, that's in a town in Belgium called Knokke, which is this resort town is it? in Belgium where they have a... It's quite a fancy town, actually. It is, it is. It's one of the fanciest towns in Belgium. I think it is maybe the fanciest. Mm. I mean, it's a ridiculous place, in a way. It's, it's a, the Chislehurst of, of Belgium. At least, of Bournemouth. Yeah. Bournemouth meets something... Meets, meets something. Knightsbridge, meets yeah. the lot. It's full of, like, very old men with their wives, who are also quite elderly, driving Porsches and barely able to get out and into them, you know, but all with all the gear on, and it's very, very rich... Belgian. Um, where would like, we should giant... go there. We'd like that. I'd like to go and see that. What about your? Um, have you got any of your, your Depeche Mode film? I remember seeing, and I love that. Oh, thank you. I don't actually. I should have had because that was that was a lot of fun to make. That was uh, was it? Our hobby is Depeche, Depeche Mode. Yeah, yeah. We. It was never really. I mean, it was paid for by the record company, but you know what record companies are like. They were very. Uh, there were some problems with the film, with some people in the film, let me put it like that, namely a German family who dressed up as characters from the videos and made their own home videos of themselves as these strange creatures that yeah. were in some of the films. And, and I think and these of, were all people who were fans yes, of Depeche Mode. Yes, like super fans, a lot of them. Uh, but the, that German family pissed off a lot of the German fans because they just they thought they weren't taking the band seriously enough, this family who did all these funny things. And the title of the film comes from the mother of the family saying, some people's hobby is sport, our hobby is Depeche Mode. And I just thought, wow, that's a, such a great thing were to they, say. Were they all in Germany? No, they were Russia. Russia were the most, in, uh, most so, amazing fans and, and in Depeche Russia. Mode, let's, let's remember, Depeche Mode are um, globally a tremendous phenomenon. They're one of the, it's a world popular band on a scale that people, I think, maybe in, in, people in... In the United Kingdom, probably aren't aware of what their enormous popularity this, around the world is. Like they're, yeah. they're a stadium, South America, world-beating, stadium-filling. Yeah, 
uh, band. They're as big as U2 in a lot of countries, in Mexico especially. But um, we don't appreciate them for the, for the band they are in, in the UK because of I think we think about them as this sort of top of the pops band. Yeah. But they have this huge following. And in Russia, they're as big as the Beatles probably were. They have the same significance that the Beatles might have had in America or Britain in 63 because they sort of their music was part of the whole kind of liberation movement for the country as well. So their fan base in Russia is very, very uh, devoted, but absolutely obsessed with them. Are there uh, other countries that have taken to you? Well, apart from Britain, we are assuming, I suppose, that uh, maybe France. I think the French like my sort of possible questioning of Britishness maybe at times. I think they, they quite And that's that. famously the hardest, you know... They don't jump into loving people. Well, no. once they do, you can't go wrong with them. Yes. So France, I, I, I have a following. Maybe Germany as well. America's difficult. It's a difficult one. They really struggle with irony yeah. in any way in America. I remember seeing, we, I was over there with, in Canada actually, but it was full of Americans at the um, comedy festival in Montreal in I think about 1990. You shouldn't go to a comedy festival without an understanding of irony, surely. Well, well if you're American, because we, Bob and I had, um, we sang a song called Lucky Carpet because the essence of it was, he said, I'm having a lot of bad luck. And I said, you need, you know, like a rabbit's foot sort of thing. I said, but if you want a lot of good luck, do what I do and carry this. It's a 12-foot carpet, rolled up lucky carpet. <laughs> and, and then sang a song, It's My Lucky Carpet. I bought it in the market. Brilliant. Blah, blah. But, and then, but they were in the front row. They gone, well, that's too big. That's stupid. <laughs> that you couldn't carry that around. <laughs> so the, the, the irony was, was completely lost, and they just thought, well, that's a ridiculous suggestion, which they would think the same with inflatable Stonehenge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've never made it. It never went to America. It went around the world. It went to Australia. It was very popular in Australia. And, well, there's uh, a lot of the sites of the old country they'd probably like to see, wouldn't they? You know, I think so, yeah. I mean, it, was, it went to Australia, and it kind of ruined the the thing itself for the inflatable because it was so hot it was during a heat wave which they sort of have every year basically but people were burning their feet going on it but still wanting to go on it for some reason what a great compliment to <laughs> yeah despite sort of I know. You know so if that was America you'd be sued wouldn't you so yeah. you wouldn't be able to do it but uh, so it's, it's interesting the inflatable stone hands because wherever it goes around the world the reaction is more or less the same from the public people just go on and, and love it and it's all, it's almost a bit overwhelming to get a response that's so overwhelmingly joyful to something and like I said there's no dignity on it whatsoever as soon as you're on it you, you look and behave stupidly basically and that's the whole point of it so that was really important it wasn't just a children's thing even though children on the whole they can stay on it longer it's exhausting being on it it's exhausting it's good to combine that though isn't it to say look this is for children but it's got a there's more of a point to it yeah What's your favourite building in the world? In the world? Oh, you might have to come back to me about that. But I've, I think it was, it was, unfortunately, it was a building that burnt down, uh, or was more partially burnt down, is the arts, art school in Glasgow, the Charles Rennie Mackintosh yeah. building. Because the interior of that was unbelievable, and the exterior. And its purpose. It was very sad that yeah. burnt down, wasn't it? And it was it? still a working building. And every part of it, every little niche nook and cranny had been designed it was beautiful stained glass and little place to sit and it was just a working building that was beautiful and um it's just kind of tragic when you see that go up in flames i mean i have to say yeah it really because that was an amazing did you go in there 
I did, yes. It's very, I was, when I was, we'd do shows in Glasgow and I'd always go and have a look. And I'd look at the students' work. It was at the time whenever we went each year to do our shows, all the students would have oh, their right. work up and it was really good. Yeah, you know? yeah. And what else, let's have a look to see what else we've got <laughs> on the stickers. <laughs> kind of, I heart Patrick Caulfield. Great painter. Yeah. This is one, there's two here that I really like. There's John Paul Jordan Fuck Brexit. <laughs> t-shirt and then there's William Morris says don't relax because he's <laughs> yeah. a workaholic um, <laughs> and that's a druid I did an event at Stonehenge and the druids wanted to turn up and the English heritage were very wary of them you know there's always a bit of tension between them and English heritage it was the hundredth anniversary of Stonehenge being given to the nation by the family that owned the land and they turned up and they did this ritual as that Ten of them in a circle near one of the stones, and it was absolutely, it was incredibly moving actually what they did. I wasn't expecting to be moved by it because they weren't, he was the only one the guy there who dressed as kind of as a druid as you'd expect, but most of the other people just dressed in normal clothes. And they did this ritual and said a prayer and thanked the, the family for giving Stonehenge to the nation. It was actually very respectful, yeah. and it was like, Wow, this is really, I'm really kind of into this. I like it. Uh, and I had a friend uh, called John Michelle who wrote books on ley lines and thus, and he was great friends with the sort of chief druid, whoever it was at the time. This is back sort of 30 years ago. And he said the re they were particularly upset because when the family gave Stonehenge to the nation, there wasn't any English heritage. Or it was before they'd even been invented. But part of the deal was it had to be kept open all the time for the druids or for anybody. Right. And then English heritage came and stop them going there really they also uh, when i was a lad you used to go and have your sandwiches on it, it was lovely yeah, you could. but yeah. now you can't get anywhere near it it isn't worth going actually because you can't get near it they do early morning and evening tours but you have to book way ahead and pay a look, extra amount but that's the only way you can go in quite easily i mean i'm like very luckily i've been able to go in a number of times but um and it is incredible because the scale you don't mm. understand how big those stones yeah, you need are. to be in it don't you yeah. 25 foot high yeah. big as a house and it's just incredible but i think the, the nature of mass tourism now would it would just be trampled and how about be the, chipping how, bits off it yeah how about the origins of maybe they could have a replica next door that you could well i mean sacrilege was a sort of attempt to sort of for, to give people a, at least an impression of it and to go on it and enjoy it your inflatable one next to it would be perfect well we did it at stonehenge near the visitor center i think if you put it next to it and people weren't driving past on the A303 and they saw two stone hinges, one of which is moving. Yeah, <laughs> even better. I think it'd just be pile-ups for like... Yeah, and queues going all the way up yeah. the 303 back to sort of yeah. London. So I think that would be problematic. But um, it was a way of having a bit of fun with our history. I definitely am getting in touch with it, you know, literally and metaphorically. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now, just talking about transport for a moment, which is what this is. This is only vaguely about this, but you travel around a lot. What's your way that you like? Do you enjoy the journeys? You take go to Australia, go to France, go to Germany, go to all these places. Well, I didn't go to Australia. I haven't been there. It's just too far. But I, it's trains at the moment, and hopefully it'll remain trains. Getting to Germany on a train is really quite straightforward. So which, which city in Germany do you go to? I go, well, I was working in Bonn, but also Cologne, which yeah. I really like Cologne. I so, like Cologne, very yeah. good. There's a great museum in Cologne called the... Uh, I'm trying to work out the name of it, the Religious Art Museum. I was just looking at books of that pictures from that museum yeah. last night. I did go there once, uh, and the cathedral's pretty fantastic. Yeah, the cathedral is amazing. So, yeah, trains. I, I, I cycle a lot. Around town, I cycle. Do you take your uh, cycle on the train to Germany? I should get a second bike, which would be a folding bike. I should yeah. get one, because that would be amazing. That's quite good. Station, put, your, put your bike on the train yeah. at St Pancras, yeah. and then get off in... Okay, so here's a thought for the future of transport. What about you put your bike on the train, which is then an electric bike, which is then being charged up. Yeah. On the train, well, you get does. off. You, you get off the bike. You get off the train. Your bike's charged up, which is enough to get you up the hill, which you were a bit worried about with your bags, to your hotel, and then you can just pedal around and enjoy yourself around the town. I've noticed a lot of people this week riding around on electric bikes on flat shouting at ground, you. flat. You know where you should be pedalling. Yeah, it's, I think it encourages laziness. Yeah, uh, because it should be just electric when you're going up a hill, shouldn't it? That's right. I, uh, if I see somebody pedalling along the flat, yeah, I get somebody else to shout at them. Yeah. Do you? Mm. You'd spend a lot of time shouting on Holloway Road if you were doing it. Yeah. Although when you're cycling, a flat can be... A, 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 for those of, you, those of you who aren't cyclists, if you're on a long, long cycle, a flat road is actually more exhausting than a set of modest hills, isn't it? Because if it's just flat, you're just constantly having to pedal. Yes, so I, I take that a, back about my shouting at the. I went for a cycle in Norfolk uh, on the wrong kind of bike in the summer, and it was the most exhausting cycle I think mm. I've ever done in my life. What on the flat? More or less, yes, but it was on a, one of these sort of, sort of city bikes, and it was just wrong, and it was too hot, and I was dehydrating. I just thought, okay, I'm going to die in a ditch in Norfolk, like three miles from where I'm staying. And what did he die of? Cycling. Yeah, <laughs> just like f- flat cycling. Yeah. So. Um, but I did. I was trying to find a church, and I did find it, thankfully, which had amazing wall paintings in it. So that it was worth it. What was this church? It was. A ch- I couldn't even tell you where it was, but it was on a little path, and you walk in. You know uh, the joys of churches. I don't know if you have the same thing when you walk into a church. You have no idea what's yeah. beyond the door. Sometimes it's just a plain church. Other times there's wall paintings that have been discovered, an amazing bit of stained glass or an object. So I love that. I like the surprise of old churches. That's something I really enjoy a lot. So um, I try and do that when I'm away. Yeah. Wales is good for that. But the one you visited had wall paintings. How old were they? They would have been uh, medieval. Mm. So they would have been painted over and then they were discovered and it was really elaborate. But I went to the most amazing church ever, I think, in terms of a decoration in Kilpeck. Do you know this church that has all the heads on the exterior? And there's a figure called Sheena Magog, I think, which is a woman just opening her vulva out on the exterior of a church. It's just really? incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's like proper like that. But all these figures, there's and musicians. And how old is this church? This would have been, fat would have been about 13th century. 
the church. So it was been, Christian. Yes, then, but with all but this with very pagan... strange uh, symbolism and uh, iconography on the exterior. Weirdly, I didn't take a picture of this. The woman, for some reason, because everyone does. But it this felt is prudish. this was well strangely. This is her. In um, they had a guidebook, and that's what she looks like. It's a kind of Esso um, man head. Woman. Or, uh, this what, really do you know the old Esso man? Yeah, this, this is, is a dangle. That's not. That's, that's just confusing. <laughs> it's a, well, a bit like an octopus. Well, she's it's pagan by the looks of things, isn't it? And she's um, presenting a, a self as if to say, um, "Let's create." Yeah. It is strange because that long, it seems that that long, eight hundred years ago, cartoons were the thing. You it's know, it's only yesterday. And, and uh, yeah, it's like. Uh, I was in uh, Canterbury Cathedral last week and there's the oldest bit of stained glass window in, I think in the, probably in the world, it's certainly in Europe, and it's a fellow called Nathan and he's up there on, on the window and if you look at him, he was, that was 1170, so he would have seen the murder of Thomas Beckett before his very eyes, but if you look at him, he actually looks like Woody from Toy Story. Very, very similar. Well, it's the other way around, isn't it, though, really? Yeah. Woody. Yes. Like, yeah. Well, I don't think Woody from Toy Story was modelled on him, but if you look <laughs> at him, and it's a real cartoon figure. But that's when you realise, I think, when you see in those very early paintings in the 14th century and the like, or even the 18th century or whatever, that you see a face or a bit of the moment of landscape that just looks something like you've seen yesterday or somebody that you saw in the street, you realise how you're connected with all of the people yeah. who've been there before us and how like they were to yeah. us, really. We weren't, it's not like we're loads clever or anything. Absolutely. Jeremy, thank you very much. Uh, thank you and goodbye, Jeremy Della. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you. Well, there goes Jeremy, off on his city bike to look at another church, presumably. I would have thought so, and, um, and, uh, or perhaps re do some reenactment somewhere. This podcast was produced and edited by Molly Stewart. Sound engineers were James Stewart and George Latham.